0: Welcome to the Gridiron Stud Show. Chad Wilson, Emil Calomino, has graced us with his presence this week off playing hooky last week. He is back, plenty to talk to on the show today. We appreciate you guys stopping in and joining us. If this is your first time here, go ahead and smash that subscribe button. Whatever you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, whatever your weapon of choice is for podcasts, wherever you listen to the Joe Rogan Show, go ahead and hit the <laughs> subscribe button here for us so you don't. We're miss-
1: not getting paid what Rogan's getting paid. That I can tell you that. I don't know if I want that money. It
0: seems to come with a whole lot of problems. But we're not here to talk about that. That's a that's some other separate show, some other place, some other time. But again, sub- hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the shows because we want you here every week. Like I've been telling you guys each and every week, our subscriber base and our listenership continues to grow, and we would uh, like for that to continue. We're trying to build up the numbers here, and we want to thank everyone that is a regular on the show. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button if you want to follow us on social media. For me, it's at Gridiron Studs, whether you're on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. I keep it pretty simple for you. If you want to reach out to Emil, you can find him on Facebook, EMI. L-C A L O M I N O. Both of us post up links to this show. So if you happen to hear something on this show that's interesting or you have a question about, feel free to go back to that link on Facebook and drop your comment. We'd love to hear from you guys. We love feedback from our fans. So jumping into things here, Emil, there's stuff going on in college football. Man, never I don't listen, you and I, you and I have been fans of college football for at least 40 years. And I don't think I've seen a period of time like the last five years where there have been so many changes, whether it's changes to bowl games, the way that we determine a national champion, and now players getting paid and also being able to transfer. And because those floodgates have opened, we've had some really rather large things happen, like Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma to head to USC and essentially, Emil, okay, I know you're a USC homer, but essentially taking players with him. I found it a little funny, the comment that he made, the quote that he had out there this week saying, I didn't take players from Oklahoma. I took players from the transfer portal. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, he's par- he, he was parsing words, but I think, you know, part, part of that is to, you know, stay away from tampering charges. I mean, you, you're not allowed just as you're leaving, walking out the door, say, hit me, you know, hit me up once I get there. I mean, so in theory, in theory, he's right, right? I mean, those kids had a chance to go anywhere they want it. I mean, Yeah, we know well, Like,
0: I, I think we know – well, you know, I can't even say that. I can't definitively obviously say, because I'm not around Lincoln Riley, don't know the man, I can't definitively say that on his way out, he told these kids, why don't you hop in that portal and, you know, I'll get you out west to the beaches and, you know, in Tinseltown. He may have done that, but it's just odd the amount of players that did jump into that transfer portal and suddenly making themselves available – for all of college football, but mainly USC.
1: Well, well, here's a comment I made, uh, obviously in a USC fan group. So mm. it was most of the people shocking, were from, shocking they, that you're in a USC. Well, fan. they were from California, so they found it funny. But what I find funny, and no offense here, but because I live in a place that I would consider very similar in that what I'm going to say would apply to where I live, so I'm I'm mocking myself too. I find it funny that people in Norman, Oklahoma. Think that people are in at Oklahoma because they want to be in Norman, Oklahoma. Mm. They were there for the coach and probably the the coach before that, Bob Stoops, and probably when they were good before Stoops, they were there for Barry Switzer. They weren't there when John Blake was the coach. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, I'd have to go back
0: and just kind of look at how he recruited. Probably not all that well because they didn't do well under John Blake, but isn't a part of it, Emil. Um, you're coming there for the tradition of Oklahoma and the belief that a program that has been solid for so long. Um, If a coach leaves, they will get another solid coach after that because there's a standard to uphold. And that is why I'm here at Oklahoma. You absolutely
1: absolutely are. And I send you this list. I sent you another one this week. They do this list, these lists all the time. The same five programs, no matter what score they give it, no matter how they do it, national championships, draft picks, everybody makes it up a certain way. But they come up with the same group of five. It may not be in the same order. Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Notre Dame, USC. So, nice. if you're at if you're at Oklahoma and you were there for the coach and he leaves and in a weird situation as you said, so many weird things happening now in college football. He goes to USC and you sit there and you go, "Hmm. The coach I was playing for is now in Southern California and I'm here in Norman, Oklahoma mm-hmm. and I can go look at a beach. Or I can look at that oil well outside campus. Come on. It's not that complicated.
0: I mean, I suppose, yes, if you're assuming that everyone wants to be, you know,
1: in that kind of town. I'm not saying everyone. I'm saying generally, if we did a poll with 100 people and I said, hey, would you rather be in Los Angeles or we'll use Miami, even Miami or Norman, Oklahoma or Scranton, Pennsylvania, where we'll use use places. Uh, I'm going. I'm gonna guess. Just wild guess. We get more of Miami's or Los Angeles.
0: I suppose. Yes. I. You know. I. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Uh, though those numbers probably would have been higher pre-pandemic than they are now, especially Los Angeles. We're talking about, but you know what? Let me not say that because Los Angeles, though there are you know tent cities there, and you know there's some <laughs> restrictions and um, political issues, uh, Los Angeles still is. And really is a happening town, especially with what's going on with the Rams. Um, You know, the Dodgers have been solid every year. And um, generally
1: the Lakers, you've got you a lot. If you're a sports fan and you just you like, you know, nice weather and things to do and restaurants, it's a great place to be. I'm not saying again, I live in a small town. I'm not knocking there's nothing wrong with that. And I obviously don't live in Los Angeles or Miami. So I'm not saying that it's, it's for everybody. What I'm saying is if your coach went from the place I said to one of those other places, there's a good chance you might go with them because you've got the tradition. You said you're in Oklahoma for tradition. That's hundred percent great program, but USC has that and they have the weather and they have your coach. Yeah, and that
0: speaks to a, a larger thing that we are going to talk about coming up in the show here. Just what has the NIL meant now uh, to the the potential shift in the balance of powers in college football? That's coming up. But speaking of powers and college football, AMO, Congress is taking a look into college football. Wow. Who saw this coming? But what angle are they coming with?
1: Uh, the angle they will, you know, I, I don't know what the, I, you know, this isn't a political show. So I don't, un- you know, we won't get into that. I don't even know the political motivation at this point, other than they like to grandstand both parties. Um, they first went after, from what I understand, the David Shaw contract at Stanford, asking Stanford if paying Shaw $9 million a year, it, it you know, squares up with their tax exempt status. Now, why? That matters. I haven't gotten to the bottom of it yet because there's some other guys, obviously. There they go,
0: attacking the black guy.
1: Well, I find that ironic, right? Because in this case, we have to get into a little bit of politics. The the Congress is controlled right now by the Democrat Party. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, a party that likes to position themselves as an advocate for the African-Americans. So why David Shaw? Like, like, like we got Lincoln Riley's making 11 million bucks a year. But somehow, you know, w- when I started reading this and it was a Stanford article from their paper I pulled up, they honed in on him and, and the USC coach and the LSU coach. So I guess my point is they make the laws. If they don't like the tax exempt status of the university, eliminate it. I've been saying that for years. Colleges have billions of dollars tucked away in endowments. I'm still not sure why they're tax exempt. Again, different show. I just don't know where where Congress is going with this or what they're hoping to achieve because nothing's going to change. If I was a college president, I'm going in there, they're going to ask me a question, does this square up with your tax exempt status? And I'm going to look them square in the eye and go, Congressman, Senator, what do you know about college sports in terms of the finances of it? And they're going to look at me puzzled and I'm going to say my football program pays for every other sport at this school, and I do that because I put butts in the seats, and I put people eyeballs on the TVs, and I do that by having a really good coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Am I it's am I missing question. something? There's a,
0: there is a direct correlation uh, between those two things, and so um, I think that would be part of the discovery for Congress in bringing people in because they're not supposed to know in depth everything about everything. So you do bring in the people that run the companies, the show or whatever the case may be. And you do ask them those questions and it's coming upon them to explain the finances of college football and why it is necessary or even, um, you know, um, poignant for them to pay a coach that amount of money. I, you know, I mentioned this on the show before with the Alabama uh, chancellor or president once said on CBS, which was Nick Saban has been the best investment this institution has ever
1: made. And no doubt about it. But here's here's the thing I don't understand. I'm looking at this. I'm being sarcastic. Obviously, you know, not everybody, even though the approval ratings would would indicate otherwise, not everybody in the Congress and Senate is a dunce. I mean, these people are lawyers and they're educated. You're telling me they, they can't figure this out. I mean, <laughs>
0: hmm. um, I, I just think there's other issues that should be addressed with college football that Congress maybe could get involved in. But
1: um, why they've chosen this, I have no and idea. Why the tax exempt status? It doesn't matter. David Shaw gets a W-2 at the end of the year. He pays taxes on those nine million dollars. So at the end of the day, the, the government's still getting their cut.
0: And the time to poke around about, you know, salaries for these college football coaches, I feel has has passed. It's gone. Uh, that yeah, it well, left you, That ago, ship sailed. Yeah, yeah, long ago, you should have involved yourself in this. And so leave it to them to wait until the candle is spilt over and the entire drapes are on fire to come in and ask what's going on. But that's Congress for you. Um, getting back to USC and Oklahoma and the transfer portal and NILs and everything else. Caleb Williams, after finally making all you USC Trojan fans wait, Emil included. Finally landed where everyone thought it would make sense for him to go, and that's to go to USC, where his you know previous coach at Oklahoma is now. He could be out west um, in sunny California with a wide open offense, and you know the type of athletes that you know you can get in the, the an area like Southern California. Immediately upon signing there, there uh, there was an announcement of his NIL deals, and then Emil, he ends up on Good Morning America. And then on The Herd with Colin Cowherd, which is probably the number one sports talk show in the country. And so I think you know what that led to. That led to bombs being lobbed from, I think, I I think USC fans started this. one. Now, they'd been taking shots from Sooner fans for quite some time, but they, they were thumping their chest about the kid getting these NIL deals and then ending up on two national programs, as opposed to, you know, whatever it was that he- Can I
1: say something? Here's my understanding. I don't know this. Maybe you saw something different. My understanding of the deals he did get, as much as I'd like to have some fun and rub it in some Oklahoma fans' faces, the deals were attached to him. In other words, he was going to get some of those deals no matter where he went.
0: So something they'd negotiated while he was a free agent so to speak
1: sort of yes because here's the thing he spent from from what I've read and, I, and I've tried to go to some different sources on this he legitimately him and his father went through a process uh, of actually looking at other places not just you know it wasn't like he just did it for window dressing he didn't have to he could have sat around for three weeks and then just said I'm going to USC hmm. He he legitimately looked into other places and did a pretty thorough review from what I understand and just came back to the conclusion that, well, this makes the most sense, which we kind of thought because he he admitted, he said when he went to Oklahoma as a freshman, he said, his quote at the time was, which I don't believe, I think he was, it was hyperbolic and that he was trying to make a point. He said, I would have walked on to play for Lincoln Riley. Hmm. So I think you got a kid who knew what he wanted coming out of high school but I also think he legitimately tried to go through a process and give himself, give it a fair shake to say, is there someplace else out here I don't want to be closed-minded? And I think they explored several universities, the ones that were all in the articles, LSU, Wisconsin, even UCLA. I mean, they went some places. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think he's going to get a lot of these deals because of the type of player he is, and he, he brings excitement. I don't think it was necessarily – because he was at USC, he got these NIL deals in this case.
0: Yeah, but, you know, but it sure seems that way. And it has done nothing to, you know, throw any kind of sand on the fire that burns between Norman and Los Angeles. Wouldn't it be great, Amal, if both of these teams make it into the college football playoff and somehow end up on the field against each other
1: for college, for college football, it'd be great.
0: Most definitely. That is the storyline of all storylines. So, um, Perhaps college football can make that happen. You, you know how that goes.
1: But you know, you talked about this. With we we're getting ready for the show about recruiting. It's kind of funny how we are as fans. Not you know, as you get older, you try to guard against this a little bit. At least I do, and I'm sure you do. Uh, as soon as a kid doesn't want to go to a school, he was never that good anyway. Sure, uh, see that all the time, every cycle. If a kid, and, it, yeah, and you see that now at Oklahoma. You know, Lincoln Riley was never that good. But here's the thing: when someone really wasn't that good. Apathy is the way to show it. In other words, all oh, good for him. i hope I hope he has a good time out in Los Angeles. But the fact that you're still talking about it tells me that you're butt hurt. Oh, no
0: question. I mean,
1: there's no other way to describe
0: sooner fans than butt hurt right now. but I think if they're just patient and realize that you do have a good coach there, he'll put together a good system. And it is still Oklahoma, as I said, in the, yeah. it's
1: not like they got, it's not like the guy they got is trash.
0: Yeah. You're going to get good players there. You're going to be a good football team. And so, um, you know, you know, I I wouldn't spend too much time thinking about guys that have left. If I, I realize I'm asking a USC fan this, who do you think is in a better position to have the better year in twenty twenty two on the field?
1: I don't know enough about Oklahoma's defense. I think USC will be excellent and on at least in at least one phase of the. And I don't know about special teams, but they'll be excellent on offense. I'm not sure Oklahoma. I don't know enough about them to say what the. You have to be excellent at something to have a chance at a good year. Mm-hmm. I think USC has an excellent offense based on the the weapons they have coming back, including their offensive line, which was underrated in a four and eight year. Believe it or not, they had an underrated offensive line. It was the the line was not the problem, and they return a couple of guys that are highly regarded uh, going into next year. So mm-hmm. uh, I think they have a better a better shot. Uh, but that doesn't mean I'll be right because maybe Oklahoma has got ten guys coming back on defense that I'm unaware of. <laughs> Yeah, and that usually,
0: uh, you know, that usually is a good thing when you have that happening. Even though there's going to be a new defensive coordinator there, so USC has, you know, obviously made some very, you know, some new additions. Some uh, they've, I've obviously beefed up their roster, and they've got the coach that you know people are very, very happy with. Does this make them the odds-on favorite to win the Pac-12? And do, and do you no. think what they've done put them in the college football playoff? Uh,
1: I. Th- think they could be a dark horse for it, depending on how the team comes together. But to me, going into the year, the Pac-12 favorite would be Utah. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I think USC's got a shot. Uh, We we have to see how it comes together. It's a first year. I mean, Riley's a great coach. It wouldn't surprise me because he's a great coach. But at the same time, it it could come together a little slow. So, I, I mean, to me, Utah's the favorite.
0: Yeah, and I would agree with you there on that. You know, I I do like Utah. I like them towards the end of the year. I like the physical brand of football that they do play in a conference that is still, for lack of a better term, soft. If Lincoln Riley can do one thing that would really help him there, aside from being able to bring in all of the top quarterbacks from that area, uh, is that he can get a little bit more physical on the defensive side of the ball and especially on the the defensive front. If he's successful in doing that, then I think USC is going to be in great great
1: position. And I make a point and you'll you'll appreciate this because I know you you're like me in that you believe in coaching and you know I think especially at the college level with developing the, the underrated part of what Riley did because he's the headliner, okay? Is if you look at the USC coaching staff, it's very strong. Mm-hmm. He brought his defensive coordinator from Oklahoma. Uh, the offensive line coach from Oklahoma didn't want to come. So he went out and he got the offensive line coach from A&M. And we know what Texas A&M has been doing up front the last four or five years. Okay. Mm-hmm. They've been impressive. Um, you know, he kept the, the one USC guy he retained was their best recruiter, DB coach, Dante Williams, mm-hmm. excellent recruiter. He's built a very strong staff, which gives them a chance. I think that's underrated by some fans. They They only hear the head coach but it's, it's the guys underneath that are going to be doing a lot of the developing. And, and, and that's what I do like about what I've seen so far without obviously seeing a product on the field yet.
0: Sure. Um, yeah, so that's going to be interesting. I mean, if they are able to give, um, take the fight to Utah, then yeah, you really do got to watch out for USC. Can I say
1: one other thing about you? We're talking about this, having some fun, but I'll give you an example with all these kids leaving. You see it. You're, you're, you're a Miami alum. You're obviously a fan of the school. You went there. The portal, every team, USC had 17 guys leave. I mean, everybody makes it like, oh, USC brought in 14 guys in the portal. They had 17 leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, when Jackson Dart, their five-star quarterback freshman, last year's class, slightly behind Caleb Williams coming into college, very good player. He left before Williams signed. Um, and he ends up at Old Miss. I was not upset about it. I didn't know. I honestly, like everyone else, didn't know where Caleb Williams was going. Oh, but you had a pretty good idea
0: he would end up in USC. I
1: did, but I wasn't upset about Dart. And here's what I'm gonna say: Dart was never what I consider a guy that USC shouldn't ever lose because he's not from California. I get mad when, when we lose guys like probably like you used to, or still still will now around the Miami campus I'm the same way like when a guy's an LA guy to me I feel like we should get him when Dart left him like well he's a Utah kid we kind of had him he he wanted to play for a coach he left I think Oklahoma fans should kind of view Williams the same way he's from Washington DC he went there to play for Riley he didn't necessarily go to Oklahoma heck if he was going to the local school he should be at Penn State or something like that
0: sure and I'm sure they you know went after him pretty pretty hard as would anyone in that area over there. So yes, um I understand it. So you we'll see if I point more.
1: yeah.
0: Yeah we'll we'll talk more about USC and Pac-12 football and the continuous movings that go on. Uh, I will say this the whole NIL well not NIL but the whole transfer portal thing keeps you know there's a free agency period in the NFL. I mean, there's there's not a free agency period in college football. This thing runs seemingly all year long.
1: And there's another big free agency period in college football that you're saying runs all year long, but here's a big one that's coming up that fans are going to have to get used to. It's going to run slightly after the NFL cycle, which will make it fun for us because we'll have the NFL free agency, which kindly goes March into April, where the big guys sign. Then you get a lot of veteran free agents throughout the summer, but when the spring games are over, you're going to have a whole season of college free agency.
0: Of course, because, you know, guys find out where they, you know, where they sit on the team and et cetera.
1: Yes. And and, and it's going to be big. You, you, you know, we're going to see that, especially at these bigger schools where they have a lot of top talent and a kid might say, you know, I don't like the way they're using me or I don't think I'm going to get enough snaps. And they're going to you know hop into that portal and you're going to see a lot of movement in the late spring and early summer.
0: Some of the more savvy coaches will, um, you know, make a kid believe that he's going to be used more than he actually will be used um, in that spring just to keep a kid around. I've seen that done. I've seen that done at
1: the college. Oh, NFL. yeah. I mean, it's it's a cat and mouse game, no doubt at this point. I mean, these coaches aren't there. There's some pretty sophisticated guys now that are running these programs and they, they get it.
0: Yeah, no, uh, for sure. Um, let's talk about the USC of the South. And that is the University of Miami brand new head coach, Mario Cristobal, former um, teammate of mine, has come in. And much like you guys out at USC, where you were wringing your hands, wondering about Caleb Williams and what he's going to do. There was some hand wringing by the fans down here in Miami regarding the hires that Mario Cristobal was going to make from the all-important offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator spots. And for all intents and purposes, the the weight was definitely worth it. Because he comes up with two guys that obviously carry a name and have done some things um, in this in the college football game and bring a a whole lot of hope as well as, um, you know, what's the word that I'm looking for here? In hiring Kevin Steele, who's you know charisma obvious.
1: are you looking for charisma maybe uh, i don't
0: know bit. about charisma i'm just talking about energy for the fan base i guess is the word i'm looking well, for Well, sure because, because their
1: the name i mean you got your defensive coordinators coming in from michigan so you, you know your, your fan base has to like the fact that you you know you stole the off offensive another,
0: coordinator josh gaddis
1: come gaddis excuse me yeah i'm mm. sorry he you stole off another big program so that makes you feel good michigan was in the playoff last year so if you're a fan you're thinking okay we got a guy. That was the offensive coordinator at a big-time program that made the college football playoff. That has to make you feel good.
0: Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. Um, and Gaddis is someone that I, you know I know personally, but um, you know I liked the transformation that he made at Michigan. He did come in wanting to do one thing, and um, Harbaugh, you know, was a guy with a different mindset, and somehow he was able to blend what it is he likes to do with what it is Harbaugh wants to do. And, you know, I got to give a coach credit for being able to do that, Um, make some adjustments to what it is that's needed compared to what it is you actually want to do and make that offense work for Michigan.
1: Wait, let me ask you a question. Is Gaddis a local guy?
0: No. Is he like from South Florida?
1: Yeah. No.
0: No, not as far as I
1: know. Um, okay. I don't. I
0: don't think. No, I was just.
1: I was curious. I mean, I, I mean, I'm always curious. Like we all are. These moves anymore are becoming like, you know, you're going from one big time program to another. So, what was the draw? Money? Does he have a relationship with Cristobal? I mean, what's is there? A well, obviously, there?
0: there's some kind of um, relationship uh, with Cristobal, and you you've, you you got to know that these guys go to conferences every year, um, and these coaches talk, and they may have you know come across each other i believe the connection is that they were both on the alabama staff at one point if if i'm not mistaken um uh, i could be wrong on that but um they may have crossed paths there but you know through mutual friends maybe um you know they drew up a you know some kind of a relationship and that's not that's not hard to do for both of these men especially mario he is that kind of guy he'll you know be it's not hard for him to develop relationships with people. So, and then also you mentioned money. He's going to get paid. And it, this, Emil, it is rare that I'm able to say something like this. He's going to get paid more as an offensive coordinator for the University of Miami than he did at Michigan. I don't think I've ever been able to say something even remotely close along those lines. So it well, just, I think he,
1: Miami stepped their game up and I'll be honest with you. You know, we talked about this two months ago and as a fan, I'm going to take some credit. I think USC going big, Miami's like their their cousin of the East. And I think it forced Miami's administration to look and say, if we want to play football at the level we want to play, like we used to down here, especially being tucked in the deep South, we got to step up our game like those guys out West did.
0: Yeah, no question about it. Um, you know, both programs have been down and it would just seem really bad if one of those programs got back out of the dumpster and started doing well, and the other one stayed there. So, um, you know, I could understand the pressure that was put on Miami when USC started making moves. And, Emil, it's definitely a good thing if both USC and Miami climb themselves back into the consciousness of college football and make a push and actually get into the college football playoffs. Both of these marquee programs have not made an appearance. In the all-important college football playoff, and they've positioned themselves to make a strong push for that, and that's just good for college football, wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah, fandom aside, you know
1: they happen to be my two favorite. Yeah, (laughs) I sound sound like Colin Collard here. Well, you're (laughs) You're, you're, very, oh,
0: though you live in Scranton, you're very coastal. In yeah, he said, uh, you uh, know,
1: Colin used to say his his two teams were USC and Texas. Mine are USC and then Miami. So I yes, they happen to be my, but I do think. Listen, I think it's good for college football and Notre Dame's good. So I'm just trying to my point is, I think certain programs make the sport at least being relevant. I'm not saying they have to win every year, but when they're when they're in the mix, it makes the games interesting every weekend.
0: Yeah, no question. And 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 sliding over into into that um, piggybacking on that, let's say. The. NIL has brought about new ways to finance the acquisition of capital uh, at these college football programs. And by capital, I mean players that suit up on Saturday and do very dangerous and amazing things and cause programs to win games and get into big, you know, big, even bigger games like playoffs and raise big trophies. And since the advent of the NIL, many felt like, well, this will only enhance the power's that are already strong the uh, alabamas the georgias the ohio states um and the clemsons those those of the college football world but what we're seeing here rather quickly is that this has kind of enhanced the big markets the uscs the miamis um and places wait, of that we're world. not
1: seeing that you and i predicted this a year ago we had sure. shows it we only had shows sense. we had shows that we said listen when, when, this, when this, maybe it's more than a year ago, whenever the NIL was in discussion where it hadn't been implemented yet, I specifically remember on a show you and I going back and forth talking about, well, you know, I don't see how they don't think at some point the schools like Miami and USC and UCLA aren't going to really enjoy the NIL.
0: Well, you know, you're a little bit more gung ho on that point than me. Yes, though I agreed with you, I was still wondering well, is college football important enough in these particular areas to grab the business owners and have them support it by matching whatever um, NIL deals can come out of a place like Tuscaloosa or Athens or Baton Rouge or, you know, Clemson, South Carolina, where football is everything? And yet we're still going to probably see. I'm sure the Empire will strike back in those places, but and we'll see just how far the you know the businesses in Los Angeles and Miami and other big markets are willing to go when these people up the ante. But for right now, it seems to be um a pretty good thing for these big markets and their opportunity now to jump back in. And grab and, Here, and reclaim. Here's, them. here's
1: the one point. I'm not. I don't want to say you're missing it. I think the one point that I'd like to make, or at least draw attention to, I don't think it's just the money, though. I mean, in other words, you're in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and the guy who owns 20 car dealerships that's worth 100 million dollars. Yeah, he can come with money, but the it's one the brand. Thing, it's the yes, brand. Yes, it's yes. the brand. When well, you're that out, term, least, that
0: term we we got to use now. It's the brand. The yes.
1: brand, right? And when you're in these cities that we're talking about these coastal cities, they, they add to a player's brand. And if a guy's, and you know, I I want to include Oregon in this, even though it's not as sexy as the other two places we've named, you know, they have Nike. So Mm -hmm. it it enhances the player's brand. And I think that's, that's where the people in, in the deep South might be missing it. They're like, well, yeah, we have, we have boosters. We can, we can get money. You can, but you don't have what, what those places have.
0: And maybe sapping a little power
1: from the middle of the SEC is not the worst thing in the world. Um, no, no. I mean, listen. If it expands, it, it, listen. We we're getting a little bit. You and I, neither of us, are huge fans of the NIL. We're, we haven't been shy about that, mm-hmm. and I'm still not. So just because, just because at this point in time, I feel it's going my team's way, I, I still don't like the idea of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, both schools won for a long time without the NIL. I think it was more about getting the right coach in place, not this. But I also think we're focused a little bit on it when, in essence, it's only going to be a handful, a collection of players that make big, big money through this.
0: Um, Yeah, and I think people are, if they haven't realized, that they didn't realize it in the beginning, they're realizing it now, Um, you know, where there are going to be players, that for lack of a better term not as deserving are going to get these big contracts namely 18 year old kids that they're trying to get on campus and guys that have been toiling away and are you know making plays and doing great things on Saturday maybe won't get that kind of money so let's say a kid's a four star he wasn't very celebrated coming in and he also um predates the NIL gets on the campus makes his way up the depth chart and he's out there and he's playing I don't know if those guys are really going to get. I'm, you know, I want to see if those guys are going to be able to secure the NIL deals because right now the biggest money, the greatest amount of money, is concentrated on the high school kids that they're trying to get on campus, and that was not the spirit, and the intent, and the intent of this NIL thing.
1: No, and you know, there's the this is years away from actually getting into its final form, obviously because. We're going to have lawsuits back and forth, and we're going to have some guardrails put up and people are gonna sue when the guardrails are put up because they're gonna say they're not fair. So at some point, this is gonna land in a spot that looks a lot I think will look a lot different than where where it is right now. It's the wild West right now, and everybody's trying to get their arms around, well, okay, how do we do this and if we're gonna do it, how do we do it fairly um, you know without turning this into something that we don't want it to become and and that's the risk right now. I mean, are are we just paying players and saying, you know, what kind of deal can I get? You use the term free agency. I mean, do we really want that? You know I'm saying? I think this is going to change a lot over the next couple of years.
0: Yeah. um, And I'm looking forward to seeing some kind of tweaks, you know, so we can get this thing lined up and have it look a little bit better and less wild West than um, it looks right now. I'd like to see them clean that up because right now, Um, it's just kind of looking like anything goes and they're making it up as they go
1: along. And, but even what I'm trying to say to you is, I mean, there may be some really good offensive linemen that get 50,000 bucks thrown at them or something like that. Right. Um, which again, I'm not sneezing at somebody throwing 50,000 bucks at me. I'm saying, but these guys getting a million bucks, it's only going to be five or 10 guys. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. And,
0: and they're all going to be in the same locker room um, and, and, and so on and so forth. So um, we're going to just have to see where that goes. Listeners, if you love getting cash back like I do, then you've got to get the Get Upside app right now. Get cash back on your everyday purchases without changing anything about how you shop or live. You'll pay however you normally do, with a credit card or debit card, and cash back will be deposited directly to your GetUpside account. There's no limit on how much you can earn. GetUpside even works with other coupons, discounts, and loyalty programs. First, you claim your offer, find local offers on everything from gasoline to restaurants and everything in between. Second, you spend, you shop as you would at your favorite spots around town. Third, check in or scan receipts, check in to log your purchase, and you'll be on your way. Finally, get rewards. Earn cash back and cash out whenever you want via PayPal, e-gift card, or check. It's just that simple. I love coffee, and I get mine for free just by earning cash back from GetUpside. Download the app and get started getting your cash back today. Click on the link in the description of this episode to get started. Sliding over to the NFL right now, Emil, you weren't on for the discussion last week about the Groundbreaking lawsuit that was brought by former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores against you, um, the NFL and and three teams in particular, the Giants, the Dolphins and the Denver Broncos. It shook up the NFL. It was everything that was talked about for the for 48 hour period, um, especially when you had um, within that lawsuit. Some direct accusations made at the Dolphins and the Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, with regards to paying or offering to pay Brian Flores $100,000 per loss. Can you imagine that? And I just got to say this, I'm going to reiterate this because I touched on this some in the discussion last week. When you're a black coach in the NFL, you already know that you're going to be judged more harsh than your counterparts. And if you're paying me $3 million, let's say, You offering me $100,000 per loss um, is just not going to move the needle for me because I know going two and 14, one and 15 is probably going to crush my career every time because you're going to eventually fire me from this job, as has happened seemingly in some other spots, you bring in a coach, a minority coach to clean up a program, clean up. Um, you know, a franchise. And once it seems that he's gotten things over the hump, you hold maybe the entire record he's had while he's there against him. It's a reason to fire him. You bring in another guy and that guy gets all the glory. See Tony Dungy. Yes. John Gruden in Tampa. So Brian Flores agrees to something like this and he gets to hundred thousand to add on to whatever millions he's already getting paid. And he has a two and 14, one and 15 season And then let's say he goes seven and nine and then nine and seven. Overall, Emil, at the end of that three year period, which is when people get itchy, especially if you haven't made it into the playoffs, which you probably wouldn't at nine and seven or nine and eight now, since they have 17 games, people will start saying, Look at his record since he's been here. And the fan base and the media don't know that you've been paid $100,000 per loss. They just know that your record at the end of that period of time is some 14 games or 15 games under 500. We haven't made the playoffs under your tutelage. It's time to let you go. Even though we did get that number one pick and the the quarterback that we needed a year or two ago, we don't think, based on your overall record, that you're the guy to carry us there. And I think Brian
1: Flores- Well, I'd like to unpack this story in two parts since I wasn't here last week. So let's take aside the 100,000 thing first. Let's put that on the side. First of all when the story broke, you know, listening to the reaction of different people in social media my that I see in my sphere, my little world. Mm-hmm. It it really does seem to break down down racial lines and I, you know and I and I'm kind of deviating from the pack as the white guy here. Mm-hmm. A lot of white people you know that I know, they say, you know, Brian Flores is just, you know, su- suing them He's, he's a sore loser. You know, he got, he didn't, he got fired and he's mad and I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't really see it like that because I think Flory's, you know, obviously I don't see any reason to fire the guy Mm -hmm. and just looking at it, taking a step back, looking at where the Miami dolphins are, what he, he, what he walked into, he goes five and 11 with the team that legitimately that year should have won two games. He went, Ten and six, and barely missed the playoffs. The second year, this year he got off to a bad start with his quarterback. He got things straightened out. They were one and seven. They ended up nine and eight. That usually is not grounds for being fired when you don't have world class talent yet. So, to me, I sit there and look, and I said, "Well, something is up." Okay, so I I, I just viewed it as you know I, I kind of take his his suit as being as soon as without even reading the details, I felt like. This guy's probably got a legitimate gripe. Now- yeah,
0: Emil, and you know, I think a lot of that lawsuit was being upset with what happened with the Dolphins. Though he named the Giants, though he named the Broncos over an interview that happened two years ago, I really feel like a lot of what happened here in terms of bringing the lawsuit was about what happened with the Dolphins. And, and let me him- continue.
1: I think the Rooney rule... Mm -hmm. which is what essentially the dolphins. I agree. I think they're the real, the genesis of this lawsuit, but the Rooney rule, which is the NFL's own rule, right? They made up the rule. If you're not going to follow your own rule, then damn, don't have the rule. What do you mean by not following it? Well, the spirit of it and the letter of it, people are following the rule to the, to the letter of it, but not the spirit of it. The spirit of the rule was to get more opportunities for minority coaches that weren't being given opportunities. The, that's the spirit of the rule. But the people aren't really following the spirit from what I can see. They're following the letter of it. Yeah, okay, we got to get a black guy in here and interview him. I
0: mean, well- Well, Emil, you and I have talked about this and I think we know two things about people who have reached um, the status in life that these owners have reached. One, they have probably gotten there by bending, manipulating, finding loopholes in, in, in rules in business um, and laws if they come across laws. And second, they don't like being told what to do. So I know these owners don't like being told who they have to hire, who they have to interview, especially when they're in competition with 31 other teams.
1: And that's fine. Then don't have, don't make up a silly rule for window dressing.
0: Well, I don't know that it was silly at the time that it was proposed. I think they were just trying to find solutions to the problem that we had, which was we've got a seven and we've got a sport here that has 70% of the participants being black. And we have one or two coaches that are leading these men and I don't want to be I don't want to say the NFL was as sinister to say, well, this looks good. This looks like a little token thing. It'll make it look like we're actually doing something
1: when, you know, I'll say it. Listen, you can't legislate. OK. What's the word I want to look for? I don't want to be too harsh here, but you know use- to. I'll yeah. use morale. I'll use morality. Yeah. For lack legisl- of a better term, we legislate- both of us agree on that. You can't legislate morality. Okay. So here's why I think this broke down racial lines. Most of the, the white guys that I'm friends with, which is a lot of them, obviously that they love football. So in their minds, they would hire a black guy if he could win the super bowl. Cause that's all they care about. They don't sure. understand that they're they're in a different world here with these billionaire owners and I'm not going to sit here and paint with a huge broad brush and say they're all the same way but there's a lot of guys in that owner's that owner's meeting, okay when they have it that come from a world where uh, they want to keep it the way it is <laughs> okay mm-hmm. so you know I, I get why people like myself who are who are guys I'm friends with they're just like me would look and say, that's ridiculous because they don't view the world that way. They really would just hire the best coach. And if it was a black guy, good. They wouldn't care. They just want to win the Super Bowl because they're fans. That just seems
0: like common sense.
1: And they're good guys, right? So
0: I think the problem, Emil, is that they don't feel like those would be the best guys. I don't think it's a situation where we're talking about competitive people. I don't think it's a situation where they feel like this black coach would be the best coach to help us beat the other 31 franchises and raise the Lombardi trophy at the end. And we're just not going to hire them because this has been our history. This is how we, I think it's, they just don't feel like, and that in itself, you're hundred percent, right. They but just that's don't a, it's racist in and of itself, but that's just how they feel.
1: Yeah. But you're hundred percent right. And, and what the problem is is in the, the hard wiring in their brain, is that Jimmy the Greek moment. Remember Jimmy? People who aren't as, as old as us might not yeah. remember Jimmy the Greek. Jimmy the Greek, for those of you who are younger, was a handicapper. He's doing the NFL today before the Super Bowl in after the 1987 season. The Redskins were playing the Broncos. I, I have to say Redskins. That's what they were called then. Okay,
0: uh, <laughs> No explanation
1: and, needed. Good. Yes. John Elway is the quarterback of the Broncos. Doug Williams uh, – Black quarterback from Grambling, quarterback of Washington at the time. And the Greek handicaps the game. And he says, we have the cerebral or something to that effect. John Elway, which was funny because John Elway was the better athlete.
0: Of For sure. Right. He <laughs> had
1: it mix matched. Yeah. Against the against the thick-thighed. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Some, you I know, know basically. You know, know, when you let
0: Jimmy go back in the day, he could he could get on one. And it's a shame that that that, you know, that's what happened to him, because you know what? The Greek was pretty truthful about some other things, too. And I did post this on Facebook. Mind you, Emil, it was a little I was a little suspicious as to the reactions to it and the amount of likes that it got in comparison to other things that I post. So uh, I think something funny was done there. But I did have the quote from Jimmy the Greek where he talked about the owners and and general managers and saying that, listen, if they give way to this, if they give way to blacks being in these positions then what would be left for the whites, there wouldn't be anything left for the whites. And he was point blank asked by whoever was interviewing at the time, you know, how would you feel if there was, you know, if, the, if blacks were general managers and owners, he goes, I'd be OK with it. And I didn't sure. care. Like he just well, wanted to know. Who's I,
1: why to would it matter? We're, we're supposed to be in the ultimate meritocracy. That's kind of what As as a sports-loving guy like myself, that's what really, on top of just the morality of it, what really frosts me is you're supposed to be trying to win. That's the only object in sports at this level. Yeah. Um, (laughs) At the end of the day, what does it matter?
0: And so I'm hopeful of this, Emil, and I'm only hopeful of this because of what I saw happen at the quarterback position in the NFL. Is that at some point, maybe not fast enough for some people, but um, opportunities will be given to Black coaches. Maybe this lawsuit, whatever becomes of it, it may never even see the inside of a courtroom or any kind of deliberations or any kind of courtroom action. But the publicity of it now forces it onto the docket in the offseason. And it allows for more opportunities for Black coaches and more, more potential success for black coaches. In which cases, now the owners' eyes will be open. Whoa, we could hire one of those guys and and get to where where it is we need to go. And over time, it won't seem like such a crazy thing for you to have a black head coach and a black general manager. Because I'll be honest, Amol, by and large, when blacks have been given those opportunities have done pretty well with them you know oh, I just yeah. think of Ozzy Newsom as a general manager I mean I don't think I don't think it's
1: an, you know to your point some of it's not even intentional a lot of these guys some of them are you know 80 some year old billionaires just how they've been raised to think right and you know you're you're a product of your life experiences right so you know again I'm gonna you're, the audience will have to indulge me if they're the younger ones. There's a Chad knows this. Ted Koppel did an interview back in the late '80s, early '90s with Dodger GM, great GM by the way, Al Campanis. And he asked Campanis, "This is live television. (laughs) It was unbelievable. You know why aren't there more African American general managers?" And Campanis said, "Well, you know, I think they're better at you know playing the game or you know and, and teaching you know from a hitting, but you know they don't have the mental capacity." (laughs) <laughs> or something. That, along and that those was lines. the quote. That was the term. And was... and Ted Koppel, you know, eyes that the glasses at the bottom of his nose is cheaters. Uh, Al, would you like to uh, take a second and rephrase what you just said? No, he actually came at him pretty stronger. Yeah, me. but I'm yeah. saying he came at him strong and campanas dug deeper. He got the shovel out and kept going. He and did. He and, it and it him.
0: even it it boiled over into swimming and saying the blacks didn't have the necessary. Boils. Yeah.
1: I mean, so I think part of it is, you know, this is going to take some time. It's no different than the stop smoking campaign. Uh, When we were kids, you and I, that started big in the seventies. Our generation tends to not smoke cigarettes like our parents and our grandparents, because it took them 30, 40, 50 years to get people from when they were kids to say, Hey, I don't really, I shouldn't be smoking cigarettes. Well, it's going to take some time like you said with the quarterbacks we've seen that you know these owners are going to change out their kids are going to take over and I think in time a lot of this will will start to see some positive change we I just want it to be fair and I want everybody to be hiring the best person to try to win that's all I care about as a sports fan
0: would be nice man because what's more competitive right now than the NFL we definitely saw that in the playoffs speaking of this the Houston Texans Uh, by all intents and purposes, a dumpster fire of a franchise in the National Football League, Um, was going through a coaching search of which Brian Flores was um, one of the final candidates. And then out of the darkness came Lovey Smith, who was a defensive coordinator this year, by the way. And um, he he was interviewed and hired rather quickly, it would seem. If we're going by the public timeline that was put out there, we don't necessarily know anything that may have happened behind the scenes. But in all their search, they said, hey, you know what? We have a guy on our staff already that could lead our team. It's Lovey Smith. Good God, did you know he was on the staff? Well, yeah. Why don't you bring him a, up? And here? he went to a Super Bowl yeah hey you know let me come up here have some lemonade let's talk about possibly being the head coach of the Texans and by golly after the after this conversation you know this lovey guy um I don't know where he came from but damn it I think he could and so he's now the head coach and I want to
1: give you credit um uh, we were texting during the week when it happened and I made the comment you know all of a sudden they got lovey smith boy they really did blackball Brian Flores because I thought you know geez Flores seems like a guy, he'd be a fit for this job. He went through it with the Dolphins. He got them to be very respectable in short order. Why not the Texans? And you brought up some points about Smith that, you know, I kind of didn't consider. I have to give you credit. He actually has had quite a successful career when you look at his head coaching career.
0: Yeah. Um, and, you know, I had to tell people, you got to put respect on Lovey Smith's name. If you put Lovey Smith's resume up against Brian Flores, there's no comparison. Um you know, Lovey Smith has a better resume. and I think the lasting impression of Lovey Smith, unfortunately, for him is the last couple of stops that he had, which was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and then with Illinois in college football. So I'm gonna throw the
1: whole college football thing out. Some guys that was shooting. my problem. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I kind of just saw him on the sideline at Illinois, and he looked like a guy that that just wanted to you know cash a check. And I I think it was a bad fit for
0: him. He gave it a stab, but Lovey Smith is not a college football coach. He's not, he doesn't have the temperament for being a college football coach. The same thing that doesn't make him all that good of a college football coach. And by the way, he was coaching at Illinois. So it's not like he was handed the keys to a Maserati and and ran it around a higher, a fire hydrant, but you mean Dick
1: Buckus didn't play linebacker for him?
0: Yeah, right. Exactly. So. (laughs) Um, the very things that might not make him a good college football coach makes him a good NFL coach. Um, And he could deal with older players and let them be the adults that they are while getting the most out of them. But between Tampa, getting fired from Tampa, which he probably didn't deserve to get fired from Tampa, um, he had taken over a franchise that had been run into the ground by John Gruden. And then they had several other coaches after John Gruden and turned to Lovie Smith after things were completely run into the ground. They hadn't had a it had tremendous losing seasons in three of the four years before Lovey Smith showed up. He goes two and fourteen, obviously, because there was nothing to cover was beer. Then he goes six and ten, and um, there he, he's never had a marquee quarterback. He did have Jameis Winston as a rookie, but that's a rookie quarterback. And when you're talking Jameis Winston, that's a rookie rookie because he just was not that mature of a guy at that age. And they let Lovey go. Now he goes to Illinois, gets fired from Illinois. So that's what people remember because there was a gap there in his coaching. The truth of the matter is in nine years in Chicago with, again, without a marquee quarterback, Lovey Smith had four double-digit win seasons, including, Amel, this major feat of going 13 and three and going to the Super Bowl with Rex Grossman as his quarterback. I think
1: that's almost hall of fame fame worthy.
0: That is a major noteworthy, and there was a big stink made when Lovey Smith was fired after a ten and six season in Chicago, albeit a season in which they narrowly missed the playoffs, and people were upset about the fact that he didn't make the playoffs. But um, ten and six was fired from there, so Lovey Smith is more than capable of being an NFL head coach. The sad thing is that he's taking over this dumpster fire of a franchise, and who knows if once again. If he will have to take to the field next year with lacking a marquee individual at the quarterback position. But he's he's experienced this he's experienced in taking over programs like this so he can keep him afloat. My guess here, Amol, and I unfortunately um, I have to say this. I think Lovey Smith will probably do a really good job in getting the Houston Texans trained back on the track but it won't be enough for some people and you'll probably get fired from this job too. And, and, but he'd set it up for someone else to come in and, and yeah, look really, he's probably really going
1: to be the guy that gets them to be respectable again.
0: Yeah. And I hate that for him, but um, if history is any tell, which it normally is, he'll clean things up, get it, get it going in the right direction and then they'll see it fit to bring someone else in most likely white. Um, that'll come in and, and enjoy some really good years and, and eat the fruits of, lovey smith's labor and that's rather rather you know i just
1: i want to be clear though just because if people who listen to us all the time they'll already know where we're coming from with this Mm. but if somebody's new to the show we generally don't find uh i would say you and i compared to what the national media does we probably find less race in things than a lot of people do but yeah, there's I, I no getting see, around
0: it here, obviously.
1: Yeah, I don't see how you could get around it in the NFL. I just think it's a big problem. Um, Which was, was know, my no. point
0: last week, Emil. We didn't need Brian Flores' lawsuit for us to say, you, you know what? They do have a minority hiring problem in the NFL. Come on, this was a this was a longstanding thing. This was like saying it's hot in the
1: summer. In yeah, Miami. I mean, I, I, but I just I just want to be clear because I think, you know well, – you get new people tuning into the show and, you know, they might think, hey, these guys are just going to be on this train all the time. And we're really not. I mean, probably if if you compare one of our little podcast to something on ESPN or Fox, we find it less times in issues than a lot of people, I think, nationally do. But in this case, I just don't see how you can get around it. And it needs to be discussed because... It's obvious to me. I mean, it's just yeah. a sports fan,
0: and I've just been a guy in my life, and probably to the chagrin of some people, um mm-hmm. I will search for all other answers outside of racism before I let every all roads lead to that, and then I'll be like, "Hey, man, there's no way around this."
1: No, That's and I'm it. not saying this because because you're my friend or you're sitting here with me. I mean, doing the show. I mean, it's the truth. You probably are like that. Matter of fact, on some things, you'll jump to it way after me.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, you'll hop on that before me. I just yeah. have always seen it in life, like walking around uh trying to run the race of life with you know um uh, my ankle in an ace bandage. I'm not doing that, so it better be obvious,
1: yeah, to, to say I, like I, I do said, think we bad. I do think we've become a, a society that's gone to that one a little bit too easily in a lot of cases, and in some cases that diminishes. The times like this where I think it really, I mean, you almost have to be blind to it to not see what's going on in the NFL. And then the, the second part of that I do want to hit on before we get off the subject, not race related, is this is a huge issue. I mean, obviously, thank you, Captain Obvious Calamino. Mm. If these owners are paying people to tank, I mean, this is, I mean, that to me it is even the bigger story that may come out of this.
0: It's either a really terrible thing that is um, relegated to one team and one owner, in which case he's going to have a serious problem hanging on to his franchise, or it's going to open a Pandora's box similar to what happened with the investigation with the Washington football team that turned up being a problem for the Las Vegas Raiders. It could turn into
1: one of those deals. I actually think it's, I think it's, outside of just the Dolphins let me put it that way
0: I mean most likely it is Emil um you know we've seen tanking before fans have asked for it the media has laughed at it um and I you know whether or not it's come at the behest of an owner um
1: we'll find out but I would have to think that has happened before I mean a couple of Browns players that were on that own 16 team said just watching the way we went about things there was no way we were trying to win
0: Emil it's while it's hard to go to a Super Bowl and win it, it's also difficult to go 0 and 16 as a professional. Chad, player.
1: it's almost harder. Yeah. Just accidentally in professional sports because of the talent, you should win a game or two. Just yeah. accidentally.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, if people realize just how difficult it is to go 1 and 15, 0 and 16, um, they would realize that there's probably some shenanigans. Whether it's in sitting certain players, certain players going on the injured reserve or being inactive in a game to a simplified game plan is probably some chicanery that happens behind the scenes to allow for something like that to happen. So you can get that college kid um, that you feel. is Right. So
1: eventually the answer becomes to go more to what the NBA did with a lottery system. And that's for all sports. Baseball's got the same issue right now. Um, At some point, you just say, "Okay, you can lose all 16 games but at the end of the day that doesn't guarantee you the number one pick you may end up with the number seven pick and an 0-16 record so maybe you should try to win a few of them
0: maybe that is something that needs to happen that we'll have to see all right let's touch on this real quick before we jump into the Super Bowl only because he's been hired and he had his introductory press conference today there is another black coach in the NFL though looking at a photo of him you wouldn't even know it Mike McDonald the new coach of the Miami Dolphins. And Emil, I've got to say this. Um, he obviously comes from that very popular and s- currently successful tree, which is one of, I guess, the only thing that we can point to right now as being positive coming from the Washington football team franchise. But that is that, you know, staff that they had that included McVeigh and Shanahan and um, I believe Lafleur. Um, and, and it also included Mike McDonald, who's now the head coach. What the
1: hell happened to them?
0: <laughs> I have no idea. They had all those brilliant minds there. <laughs> and I just, the, I don't know. They couldn't get the lights on at the facility. I don't know what the <laughs> hell happened. I guess those guys were too early in their careers. They were just brilliant, too brilliant for Washington.
1: And they got, maybe it's out. the karma train you know, have, pulls up to the station.
0: I, I have no idea. I don't know what they sold their soul for to get those Super Bowls in the 80s and early 90s, but so be it. Mike McDonald comes out of that tree. He was instrumental in what the San Francisco 49ers had going offensively. So, from that standpoint, I'm very excited to see him here. As some fans listening may or may not know, my oldest son, Quincy, just signed with the Miami Dolphins. So, for the first time in my life, Emil, outside of one night in 1985, where I was a Dolphin fan for one night when the Chicago Bears came to town undefeated, it's the only time I really rooted for the Dolphins like that. I am now. Officially a Dolphins fan, so I'm, i have you know, obviously, I'm emotionally invested in this now. I'm looking at Mike McDonald. I'm hearing him speak, and I think it's going to be boom or bust. A guy that looks this way and comes from that background and just doesn't look like he's ever played any kind of football at any point in time. So he's that new era of probably, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, analytics and that kind of thing. If he's successful early, I think the surrounding noise around him will be we're successful because he embodies this new movement. So, so you're
1: saying like this guy looks like his his sports career ended at Little League Baseball and football. You he know, probably- yeah,
0: most likely. And there have been one or two guys in football. Brian Billick comes to mind where that is the case. Well, there wasn't really a player, but, you know, you, you you knew enough, you found out enough, you did enough work. Um, from the educational standpoint to put together winners. But um, yeah, if if they're successful early on, it's going to be because this guy embodies the new movement and the smart, the, the intelligence that has been brought to the game. And if he's not, it could go really bad, really fast and say, look at this guy. He looks like a kid, which I think he's 35, which would have made him zero years old the year I started high school. Which is a kicker for me, but um, this is a guy that looks like he's never played the game. He's in over his head. He looks young. He just never played ball, so I think it's a boom or bust thing. Obviously, I'm hoping for the boom, but that's really just what it looks like to me. Amal, I don't know if you've had a chance to see him. What are uh, you?
1: Yeah, I see him. You know, I'm just excited that your son's playing for one of the teams on my love list.
0: No, <laughs> Mister <laughs> Coastal.
1: <laughs> yeah, and there's probably yeah. snow outside your window right now. Yeah, anybody who listens, they already know. Like Ch- Chad's like the real serious like former athlete like he's only got two teams he follows his alma mater and the yankees because he lives in new york me i'm the geek fan you know i'm a cowboys fan but then i got my love list the raiders the rams and the dolphins that's my little love list so (laughs) yeah listen man
0: i'm i'm excited to see what happens here because i do love what the san francisco 49ers did offensively if you're successful in bringing that kind of offense to miami i am all for it so
1: yeah i mean if I mean, they're physical offense. So you know he he doesn't look like a big physical guy, but apparently he believes in physical offense. So if he yeah, if he brings that to Miami, that'll be cool. I mean, that'll be back to the days of uh, of Zonka, Kick and Morris.
0: yeah. And you know, it jives well late in the season if you've got to go to New England or you got to go to Buffalo that much I know, or New York for that matter, if they ever get their act together because you're the only warm weather team in December. Um, you know, in your division. Hey, I like
1: the direction they went. I mean, getting a young guy and giving him a shot rather than one of these recycled guys, uh, you know, that... You mean like Jeff Fisher? Yes. <laughs> Jeff Fisher gets met. You, you, listen, you already know where I was with him. Back in the winter when they were, when that, there was like some people circulating very nasty rumors as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and he was considered for the, that, that, that USC was considering Jeff Fisher. I called you, I texted you. I said, listen, they hired Jeff Fisher. Fifty three years of which 48 of them, I understood enough to pick a team. Forty eight years of being a, a USC fan. I'm done. I said, if Jeff Fisher is the coach,
0: I'm done. Emil, um, you know, when I, I went looking at coaches records, you know, obviously just for kicks, I had some time, went and looked at it. And, you know, I knew it was choppy for Jeff Fisher. I didn't know how choppy. And I went looking at it and realized that in 22 years of coaching in the National Football League, this man only had six double digit win seasons and a ton load of, lose, of losing seasons. Listen, obviously, I've never forgiven this guy for ruining one of my favorite quarterbacks ever, and Vince Young. But good God, Emil, why does his name keep coming up? Would you look at this resume? That Super Bowl trip in his third year at Tennessee has given this man so much capital. It is unreal because there wasn't a whole bunch done after that. Was it? Was it only his third? It might have been a little after that, even. Um, no, they were AFC champions in 1999. His well, you know what? I'm saying Tennessee, but he did coach. He he was a coach. For yes, because you know what?
1: I was just going to tell you. Here's when he got anointed, and I, I will remember this. You can go look game up. 1994, he took the job at Houston, and they stunk. They weren't mm-hmm. good that year. They played the Cowboys, who were the two-time defending champions, my team. I'm watching the game. Mm. Dallas-Houston, right? Big rivalry. And I still remember the game. It went overtime or was a three-point game. Dallas barely won, okay? And I still remember whoever did the game that day, they gave this guy a tongue bath Mm. the (laughs) the, the entire game, okay, of what a great job he did only uh, right in this game against the two-time defending world champions, and he came from the Bears and he played at USC. And oh, I just think sake. he had the whole story. You know, and I think I think that people bought into, the you know, the history of Jeff Fisher. And as you said, you know, here's his record. One and five that first year, he took over in the middle. Seven and nine, eight and eight, eight and eight. He was, the, by the way, him and Kate Jason... Kate. Him and Jason Garrett, the eight and eight Kings, okay? Yeah. Three years, eight and eight. Then he went 13 and three, won, lost the Super Bowl, went 13 and three again, lost as the number one seed in the divisional round. Mm. Then he went seven and nine, 11 and five, 12 and four. And then here comes the run. Yeah. Five and 11, four and 12, eight and eight. <laughs> then he had a couple yeah. double digit win seasons. I mean, and then just... it's
0: been, it was just really bad on the way out. And even though we have about a good seven seasons there of sub 500, football coaching the name still comes up it's and
1: it always comes up jeff fisher's career record 173 wins <laughs> 165 losses he's Matt, the definition i think of i'm average.
0: personally for the next decade gonna just bring his name up every time a job opens college or
1: pro I think as long as it has anything to do with a team i cheer for because just, you, you, you'll
0: drive me off a cliff just for kicks well he fell short in a super bowl against the rams and those very rams are back in the super bowl for their fourth time their, is it their fifth
1: it's their what fifth I, trip what they I... lost to the Steelers in the 70s they did they, they beat the Titans yes they lost to the Patriots Tom Brady's first year they was oh. a starter they lost to the oh Patriots that is again correct. That yeah is correct that so is this correct. is their fifth trip
0: you would think a guy like me uh you know, well what you have me for i'm mean, i cancel really i cancel these guys in 1987 but <laughs> nevertheless they are back in this thing playing the cincinnati bengals who shockingly well, this is not the people you know if you didn't pay attention to history and you're kind of a new jack you're wet behind the ears you would think this is the cincinnati bengals first trip to the super bowl it is not folks this is their third time here and they need to win one of these things
1: they had a nice run in the '80s. They they went from the uh, an old school guy when we were kids, Kenny Anderson. They transitioned into the Boomer Sisson era, and they had Sam Weich as their head coach in the mid to late '80s. And they had a, a really good team in the '80s. They put up. They a lot had of that points. Super Bowl one
0: until, um, and I'm talking about the one that they had down here in Miami. I want to say that was '89, uh, was it?
1: Yeah, the '89. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, they had it won until Joe Montana saw John Candy in the stands, and I guess the rest is history. They drove, however many.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's also, this is their third trip, and uh, so we have two teams. Now they have only won one between them, right? So they, you know, between the, the first six trips, because they're each making one now, they won one of them only. So one of them is going to be, you know, get, you know, the Rams are either going to get get their second, which would be nice, for them, but it, or the Bengals are going to get be the first time. Uh, champions.
0: <laughs> Emil, I've got to tell you from a handicapping standpoint, and I know that's what we're supposed to do here right now, pick a team that's going to win this thing as well as cover the point spread, which stands right now at four points in favor of the Los Angeles Rams. I've been back and forth on this thing and um, you're catching me on Thursday. So on this Thursday, the fourth, I guess in the back and forth for me has me on the Bengals. And I think that's the way that I'm going to go. I just have been listening. I'm paying attention. And I do this a lot when it comes to games like this, whether it's a national championship game or a Super Bowl or things of that nature. I just try and get a bead on just how much um, the coverage is and what the common folks think. And it's just all Rams. The only thing I hear spoken about with the Cincinnati Bengals, of course, is Joe Burrow. And other than that, I don't you know, you wouldn't know who he's playing with. He's playing with a bunch of guys from Amazon and dudes from the YMCA that are showing up there with Joe Burrow in his fur coat to play this game. And it's just everything Rams, Stafford, uh, you know. Um, Aaron Donald it's Jalen Ramsey can cover any and anyone in the world and Odell Beckham and Cooper Cup is there's somebody
1: there's somebody on the Bengals though the mattress guy the crazy mattress mattress Mac which
0: scares me yes Um, he's got
1: four and a half million reasons to I don't even know
0: if that stuff is even solid but whatever the 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 infamous mattress Mac and for those of you who are kind of into sports so so you like the
1: Bengals plus four you know how I see what you're doing here. I can't
0: say that with any amount of complete conviction. It's just how I feel on this Thursday or I mean, Friday. I see, I, see,
1: I see where you're going with this in that, um, you know, you're, you're, looking, you're, you're kind of trying to read the tea leaves on what direction the public's going. My, I, I chose to look at this game in a different light rather than the public. Uh, like games during the year, I think that matters more mm-hmm. because, you know, teams have injuries. There's perceptions. Lines get overblown. I think the line here is pretty solid. I I think they got the right line on the game. And I'm kind of looking at this as more X and O. And here's what I'm looking at, coach, because you're the coach here. Mm -hmm. The Titans dropped Burrow nine times. And somehow, miraculously, the Bengals won that game. Right. If I'm the Rams defensive coordinator coming into this game, I'm probably going to take the Belichick approach to this game. I'm going to take Jalen Ramsey. And I'm going to take their number two receiver completely out of the game. Mm -hmm. I'm going to cover him.
0: So Higgins is out.
1: And he's He's out of the game. Because I'm not going to take the shot that Ramsey and Chase, they're going to, you know, each guy's going to win a few battles and something like that. Me, I'm just going to double Chase. So now I say to myself, okay, if their receivers cannot win off the line relatively quickly, can the Bengals offensive line block the Rams front four? And I don't think they can. Mm -hmm. And that's why I like the Rams in the game. I mean, that's more technical than I usually get with my picks. But because it's a single game, I just look at this game and I say, you you know, can that line hold up? I mean, because the Titans, yeah, the Titans have a good defensive line. But damn, the Rams defensive line is impressive.
0: Yeah. um, And I just that just seems too obvious for me.
1: I don't know. Well, I think there's a lot of, you know, Burrow is a pretty magical guy. He's got that it factor. So uh, I think you got a whole chunk of fans that really just believe he can. Overcome I'm just more
0: it. concerned with I've not seen the Rams put a whole football game together other than um, what they did against the listless Arizona Cardinals, who No,
1: I know what you mean. They tend to have lapses
0: yeah, they uh, couldn't finish the game against the Buccaneers. Yeah. and you know they're really they really made it out of that game because of a you know questionable call defensively made by the yeah. buccaneers. Um, and then they uh, had this game lost once again against San Francisco, and they somehow found a way to win it. It was in their building. I mean prior to that, they blew a they totally blew it at the end of the regular season against the 49ers. And before that, they had all kinds of troubles with Baltimore and Minnesota. Like, they've been in trouble in
1: every no, game. Uh, listen, and, and there's nothing I can say that to dispute. I think your facts are solid. I mean, I and I, that's why I think there is a case for Cincinnati. So I don't think it's as obvious as you're saying. And I also think something else I'm looking at, you may disagree. I think the top of the NFC was stronger this year. So I look at the Rams road and yes, the Cardinals were listless, but the Cardinals were still an 11 win football team. And the, you know, the Buccaneers were a 13 win team and the 49ers were probably one of the better 10 win teams you'll see. Mm -hmm. And I look at the Bengals road and I say, okay, yeah, the Raiders, they were the Raiders. It was a miracle that they were in the playoffs. Um, The Titans were not a super strong 12 win team. They had a lot of good wins, but the, the Titans were one of those teams that won games, by two and three points all year by the skin of their teeth. And, you know, the, probably the chiefs were legit. They were the the team they played, you know, and they, they missed Buffalo. So I don't know. I just feel like the Rams had the harder road here. I think talent wise, they got the better roster to me. It's just a matter of does Matt Stafford show up? You know, does he give it, does he throw two or three picks or do something stupid? If he doesn't do that, I, I just, I, I think it's the Rams time. Yeah, we'll just have to see. Well, it may only make sense that
0: we'd be on opposite ends of this. And uh, as it has uh, shown this year, that's really not a good sign for me. So, um, <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see we'll where see. this thing goes. But it is that kind of Super Bowl, though. That can pretty much go either way. It's not one of these Super Bowls like when the 49ers were going to play, you know. the Wasn't it this kind of
1: day. season, though, of all the years? I mean. It, yeah, I mean, what? it's a field goal game, is it not? <laughs> well, But that's this season. This season felt like one of those years where you don't see, like, usually in the NFL, there's clearly three or four teams that that separate from the rest. And I don't just mean record-wise. I mean, you're watching games and you just feel like, man, these three or four teams are so much better. I didn't really get that feeling much of this year at all.
0: No, and both of these teams enter into this Super Bowl having won their last two playoff games by a field goal. So um, they're both battle tested. We'll just have to see what the deal is, man. Maybe Joe Burrow is Joe Namath. Again, the whole fur coat deal, the whole, um, you know, whatever the situation. He's
1: is. an easy guy to root for. I mean, I listen, I don't dislike either of these teams. So I just want to see a good game. I, no, and
0: I, I won't be mad if the if the Los Angeles Rams win, you know what Matthew Stafford has been through both um in detroit and you know with his wife having cancer um um you can't you find it hard not to root for a guy like that um and and, and you know then you also got to root for the rams ownership doing everything that they could they pretty much sold. you've talked about it they've sold their soul for this uh super Bowl and you want to
1: know what if they win it was worth it because as i say to people As long as that plan gets executed, which rarely it does. And in their case, they may be one of the ones who escape because that that flag flies forever. You you know, the people get caught up in the future. It doesn't matter what you do in the future because it's hard to win Super Bowls and World Series and NBA championships. No matter how much you line everything up with your draft picks and everything else, it's really hard to win. So if you win then it was worth it because that flag will fly forever.
0: Yeah, you definitely got to take your hat off to to ownership for doing everything that they had to do. And you know what? Los Angeles is a place where you would do that. It's a place where you bring in stars because that's what the town is all about. So we'll just have to see. We are uh, Our time is up here. We're going to head out. The next time we talk to you guys, it will be a new Super Bowl champion. It'll be the Rams. It'll be the Bengals. We'll all just have to find out this weekend. I hope you guys enjoy the game. I hope you guys have enjoyed your time here with us. And once again, if you haven't already on your way out the door or off the phone or off the computer, however you're listening to us, go ahead and hit the subscribe button so you can continue to hang on here with us. And again, if you find our post on Facebook, whether it's Emil or or mine, or you find my post about the show on Twitter, feel free to drop a comment about anything that we talked about on this show. We touched on a wide range of things. We'd love to get some feedback from you. We'd appreciate that. And if you are using the Anchor app and you're familiar with it, you can go ahead and leave us a voice message on there. And maybe, perhaps, we'll play it back on the show. But once again, we'd like to thank you guys for joining us uh, here for this last hour or so. And we hope you're back here with us. For Emil Calamano, I'm Chad Wilson. Enjoy the weekend. Have fun with the Super Bowl.